Good morning again, everyone. Um, at this time, the kids and youth are dismissed to the back if they're still in here. And Pastor Patty's collecting. Good morning. What a blessing it is to worship again together. Uh, I was thinking this week of Psalm 100, that great psalm of praise. The psalmist sings all these songs by giving thanks to God. But the verse that jumped out to me was verse 3, where the psalmist writes, Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And think about what a blessing it is to serve a God who's worthy of our praise. What a blessing it is that the God of compassion, the God of mercy, the God of goodness, the God of love, the God of all the good things is the God who's on our side. What a blessing to know that the God who was, the God who is, the God who will be is the God who's with us now. And the psalmist is inviting us to take all of our songs, to take all of our prayers, to take all that we are and praise God. Why? Because to know God is to worship God. And to know that God is God is a chance for us to sing our songs, lift our prayers, and bring all that we are in praise to him. This morning we'll be continuing in our series of remembrance. We've been doing this in two parts. Uh, before Lent and before we got into the Easter season, we focused on how God reveals who he is in the Old Testament. And we use basic uh, journalistic questions like who, what, when, where, and why to reveal who God is. And now for these next five or six weeks, we'll look at the New Testament using these same base questions of who, what, when, where, and how to see how God reveals himself here in the New Testament. Because I think it's important that we remember. And if you see in scripture time and time again, God is calling his people to remember. God wants us to remember how he's been revealed to us and things that's significant. And I think the reason that God time and time calls us to remember is because it's so easy for us to forget. It's so easy for us to overlook. It's so easy for us to, to focus on the now or to focus on ourselves and to forget that God who has been faithful is the same God with us now. The God who promises to be faithful is the same God who's with us now. And that this God who's with us now is with us in whatever we're going through. Whatever situation you're in, God is with you now. Whatever struggle you're battling, God is with you now. Whatever celebration you're celebrating, God is with you now. That is the joy of the God we serve. That no matter where we are, what we go through, God is with us now. Because when we overlook and we forget that God is here, it makes it a little bit harder to believe and to hold on to. So while it's easy to look down, God calls us to look up. And that's an everyday thing, right? Every single day when we wake up, we are to look up. And while it's easy to look down, God says, if you want to look anywhere, look back at my faithfulness. Look up to my Jesus and trust that right now I am with you. So this morning we'll be talking about remember what I have done. I've been tracking with us since Lent and going into Easter. You'll see this thread that keeps coming up, right? How we talk about not only Jesus' boldness, which we'll see again, right? Jesus is bold not just on Calvary's tree. Jesus is bold every single day of his ministry. And one of the ways we see this boldness is how many times the people wanted to kill him. A lot of times we jump straight to the cross and say, man, they really want to kill him and they killed him. But it's time and time again that in Jesus' ministry, he was bold in the face of even the threat of death. We saw it last week where he goes before these Sadducees and Pharisees and he's bold enough to say, I don't just identify with the God of the Old Testament. I am not just from the God of the Old Testament. I am not just telling you to remember the God of the Old Testament. I am. I am the God of the Old Testament. And what was the reaction? They wanted to kill him. 
And today when we look at our passage, we'll see Jesus saying again, I don't just want you to know the Messiah is coming. I don't want you to know the Messiah is from God. I don't just want you to know that the Messiah will come. I want you to know what? I am the Messiah and I have come. And guess what the reaction is? They wanted to kill him. And this inspires me because there's so many Christians all over the world that can't do what I'm doing this morning, that can't profess that Jesus is Lord boldly for the threat of their lives. And I've been wondering for years now, how do they have the boldness to profess and to live even in the face of death? Maybe, just maybe, they really do believe that Jesus is Lord. And maybe, just maybe, they look at the life and the witness and the courage and boldness of Jesus that allows them to do the same. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 4 this morning. We'll be reading Luke 4, 14 to 30. And we'll be looking at God's call for us to remember what God has done. And that is Jesus' call and Jesus' mission to the world. Luke 4, starting in verse 14, and I'll be reading to verse 30. If you have your Bibles, turn there, but we'll also have it up front. Starting in verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown of Nazareth what we have heard that you did all the way there in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in all of Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd. And went on his way. Let's pray. Our Father, God, we thank you so much for the bold courage of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much that he doesn't just identify with the God of the Old Testament, but says, I am. I am the God who was, the God who is, and the God who will be. I'm the God who's with you now. And we thank you for his bold courage this week in this story, where he stands up and says, it's not just about the coming Messiah. It's not just about knowing what the Messiah stands for, knowing the mission of the Messiah, but I am indeed the Messiah, and I've come to do God's work. So, Lord, as we listen this morning, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that lives inside of all of us. Spirit, teach us how to surrender. Teach us how to hear. Let our lives not only be impacted, but let our world be impacted by what you have to say to us. We thank you for the mission of Jesus Christ. 
to make on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you for the work of Jesus Christ to proclaim the good news, to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind, and to proclaim today, this year, to be your year of jubilee. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So we started in Luke 4, 14 and uh, 30. And what I find fascinating is in Luke chapter 3 and 4, we come out of the birth narratives, right? Where Luke has been setting it up like, this Jesus is special. Look how special Jesus is. This Jesus is special. Look how special Jesus is. By the time we get to Luke 3, Luke is a director, right? And now he's going to direct us to boldly reveal Jesus as the Messiah. He starts off in Luke 3 introducing us to John the Baptist. And he doesn't waste time on explaining us the weird things that John ate and how quirky John was. All he wants us to know is that John the Baptist preached the kingdom. That John the Baptist says, whatever you're believing, whatever you're living, that's not how God has called you to live. That's not what God has called you to believe. And John reintroduces this idea that you see in the Old Testament of shuv, right? So it's repentance, which is not just saying, I'm sorry, God, or I messed up, God. That's not enough. That's not repentance. That's just saying, I'm sorry, God. The biblical idea of repentance is shuv, which means that, yes, you confess your sin, but you got to turn the car around. You can't keep doing the same thing and doing the same thing and saying, God, I'm sorry, that's not repentance. That's fire insurance that probably don't work. That's fire insurance that you get no payment, right? You get no, like, refund check for that one. Repentance in the biblical sense is confessing your sin. And if you're going the wrong way, turning around, going back to God, being filled up by God, and going out and shining and living your life. And that's what John came to do, to tell him the kingdom of heaven has come. The kingdom of heaven is near. And there's a Messiah coming. There's one coming greater than I. There's one coming who will reveal all the things. I baptize with water, but there's one coming who will baptize you with the Spirit. I tell you about the kingdom. There's one coming who will usher in the kingdom. I point to the Savior. There's one coming who is the Savior. John reveals that Jesus is God. The second thing that Luke does is he spends a couple of verses after telling us all the message of John to introduce Jesus' baptism. And this is key. Yeah, we got baptism in a couple weeks. But one of the things we tell you in baptism is this is not just your profession. This is really your entry point into doing God's work. So if you've never been baptized or if you don't remember that you were baptized, we invite you to please come to this baptism class because it is a public profession of your faith. But it's also you standing in front of your body, this body of believers and saying, now I'm ready to be empowered by our God to go out and live for him. And I love that before Jesus goes into ministry, the God of this universe was baptized. So maybe it's a little bit important, right? So when Jesus is baptized, Luke points out that John paves the way. That's important. But when Jesus is baptized, the spirit comes down in the form of a dove. And God the Father gives this audible voice. And Luke is pointing us to this idea that this isn't just an ordinary baptism because the God of the universe stopped and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Luke is building the case that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Messiah. First, that John prepared the way. Second, that the Spirit hovers over him. Third, that God the Father approves of him and blesses the baptism. And then Luke goes from his father in heaven to his mother on earth. Because he spends a couple of verses now going through the genealogy of Jesus. Matthew, when he goes through the genealogy, focuses on Joseph's line to show that Jesus is truly from the line of David. 
Luke takes it a step further, does something that's not very common in that, that, that time period in any writing in the Bible or ancient writings. He goes to not the name of the, the mother, or not to the line of the, the father, excuse me, but he goes to the line of the mother. To say that, yes, his heavenly father picked him out. But remember that God picked out his earthly mother too. That his mother matters too. And he goes to the line of Mary to show that Jesus not only belongs to David, but this son of God is also the son of man. So Luke is building this case. And he finally confirms that with John prepared the way. God hovered over him and blessed the baptism. Mary birthed him into this world at this time. He's truly from the line of David. And then maybe the, the big one before we come to our passage is Jesus is tested by the devil in the wilderness. And you see something happening in Luke 3 and 4. Usually before the start of the passage, two or three times, Luke mentions this phrase or some semblance of this phrase, he was filled by the Spirit. And that made me think this week, how many times do I go into my week filled with the Spirit? How many times do I go into hard conversations asking and surrendering to God to fill me with his Holy Spirit? How often do I go into really, really hard places asking God to fill me with his Holy Spirit? Because that's what Jesus does every single time. Every single mention, Luke is pointing out that John may have prepared the way, but Jesus was filled with the Spirit. John may have baptized Jesus, but Jesus was filled with the Spirit. Mary may have birthed Jesus, but Jesus is filled with the Spirit. The devil may have tempted Jesus, but what? Jesus is filled with the Spirit, reminding us to do the same. And we'll end our service with a little prayer that I wrote that helps us invite the Spirit. Because I think just like we can't just say, Lord, I'm sorry, and think that's forgiveness and redemption, I think we got to also not just say, Lord, I surrender to the Spirit, but we got to pledge our lives to surrendering to the Spirit. And I think our senses that God gives us helps us do that. So that's how we'll end. But when we get to this test in the wilderness, I find it very, very interesting that Jesus is full of the Spirit alone. He's hungry. It's been 40 days and 40 nights without food. Me, I go 40 minutes without food, and, and I get not only hungry, I get angry. I get that hangry going. Right? If I'm not eating, I'm probably thinking of food. You think I'm preaching right now, but I'm really dreaming of what 1230 is going to bring on my plate, right? But Jesus goes 40 days without food. And I love, though, that though he's empty of the physical, he's full with the spirit. How beautiful is that? John starts off, or Luke starts off letting us know that Jesus is filled with the spirit. But then the devil shows up to test him. And knowing he's hungry, he goes directly to the physical. And he's like, hey, um, Jesus, you know, son of God, there's a lot of rocks here. You know, why don't you just take one of these rocks and, and make it bread and eat something? I know you're hungry. And as a kid, you know, I always thought this was the whole point of this section. I always thought that Jesus is a genius, right? And he is. It's shocking to some of you, but Jesus is a genius. He really is, right? And I thought he was so witty, right? Like that the devil says, why don't you take these rocks and make them the bread? And Jesus is so quick. He's like, guess what, devil? We shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the word of God. And I thought that was it. But here's the thing. Jesus is responding with scripture. And not just any scripture. He's responding from Deuteronomy. 
Jesus is responding to what happened to Israel when they were in the desert. As a reminder to us that you might have physical pains, that you might be struggling in this physical realm. But remember, I'm only in this desert for 40 days. Israel was in the desert for 40 years, for 40 years. And guess what? God, my father, our father, provided the manna every day. So yes, devil, I'm hungry, but I'm not going to live by bread. I'm not going to live by bread alone. Why? Because I'm going to trust my father in heaven. What a reminder to us that no matter what we struggle, no matter what our affliction, no matter what our addiction, no matter what our struggle, whether it's physical, spiritual, emotional, what a reminder to us that when we're in that desert, that when we're in that dry place, that when we got nowhere else to go, our God is with us now. Our God is in it with us now. You know, this week, like many weeks in America, we heard again of an African-American man being killed by police. We even heard about a 13-year-old boy getting killed by police. And I'm so sick of us making this political when we're supposed to be Christians the life people. I'm so sick of us picking political parties and allowing death to keep happening. And I went to the desert place this week. I went to the desert place because I'm so sick of them killing us. But this verse reminded me that God is in it with us. That we don't just have to dream of justice, that our God of justice is on our side. That we don't just have to know our struggle, but we can give him our struggle because even in the wilderness, our God is with us now, no matter what physical pain we're in. So Satan then changes the tactic. If I can't win him in the physical, maybe I'll appeal to the ego. And Satan says, listen, I am going to give you power over everything. I have given all these things. I, I have power over them. If you would just bow down to me, I will give you power over everything. And again, as a kid, I struggle with this one. Because my thinking was, if something's been given to you, like if someone's powerful enough, right? Go with me on this. If God is powerful enough to gift you Satan, control over all these things, isn't it possible isn't it a little bit possible that if God is powerful enough to give it to you, that God is powerful enough to take it back? Isn't it possible that if he's going to give it to you, he can take it back whenever he wants to? So I always struggle with this. And I'm like, that's not really a temptation to Jesus. Like, he could just snap his finger and take it back. But again, Jesus goes to the wilderness to remind this devil that, you know what? You think you can give me anything, right? But here's the thing, Satan, we are to worship God alone. That's what it's about. It's not about power, it's about worship. And a reminder to us that no matter what temptation we face, there's a reminder to us, no matter how hard the wilderness is, no matter how hard the desert place is, no matter how dry your soul feels, your job is to worship God and God alone. That's what you do in the wilderness. You worship God. That's what you do in your struggle. You worship God. That's what you do in your affliction. You worship God. That's what you do in your addiction. You worship God. That's what we are to do. And Jesus says, listen, 40 days, they had 40 years. You have your lifetime. Your job is to what? Worship God and God alone and serve and serve and serve. And I love that part because God doesn't just want you to worship and, and to forget about your situation. God wants you to get to work. 
in spite of your situation. God doesn't just want you to worship and say, yeah, I'm struggling, but I'm still going to praise God. But God says, no, 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 no. As long as you're on this side of heaven, as long as you're on this side of heaven, I have given you gifts. I have given you skills. I have given you abilities. I need you to work. So no matter what desert we're in, God is with us. No matter what pain we're in, God calls us to worship. And our lives are meant to be a worship service to him. And our gifts are meant to be given back to him for the kingdom come, for the will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. To bless our world, to bless our sisters and brothers, to bring light in the darkness. Because even if we're in a dark place and we're shining a little flashlight, we give hope to the world. Even when we're broken and we confess that to God and he heals us, we give hope to the world. This world is going to tell you how it's supposed to be. Your life in Christ is going to tell you how it should be. That's why we are to worship and serve. So the devil, again, switches tactics. If I'm not going to get them by, by physical, if I'm not going to get Jesus by ego, maybe I'll use a little scripture. And this one was very convicting. Because there's some of us who grew up in church, and we know the Bible and we know how to use the Bible to say what we want it to say, don't we? And it was very, very eye-opening to realize that Satan is actually quoting scripture to Jesus. Satan quotes Psalm 91, a psalm that really is about God being our protection, our refuge, our strength, our comfort. Satan is going to use scripture and twist it to basically say, Jesus, I want you to prove that God loves you. Because he says he will, right? Like if you just throw yourself up, he's going to catch you. Like obviously, just throw yourself up, he's going to catch you. And I love that Jesus' response isn't that I'm going to prove God. It's not even that I'm going to defend God. It's not even that, you know, I'm going to outwit you and pick the better scripture and I'll argue you, Satan. I love that his, repent, his, his response is, no, you shall not put your God to the test. Which means when we're in the wilderness, which means when we're tempted, which means that when people even use scripture against us to, to say things that we know is not of God, our response isn't to out-argue them. Our response isn't to outsmart them. Our response isn't to fight for God. You know what our response is? To trust God. To hold on to God. To trust God and God alone. You don't have to say, God, I need you to prove to me that you love me. All you got to do is look back at how God has loved you. You don't have to say, God, I need to prove that you're here. All you got to do is look up and know that Jesus is shining down on you, that the Spirit lives inside of you, that sisters and brothers around the world and in this place are all on your side fighting with you and fighting for you. God is here now. And Jesus says, I don't have to prove that God loves me. I don't have to put, Scripture says, don't put God to the test that way. All I have to do is trust. And I love that about our Jesus. So if you're in the wilderness this morning, know that God is with you. If you're in a dry place this morning, know that God is calling you to worship and serve anyway. And if you're struggling and battling and no matter what you feel this morning, know that God is in you. Know that God is around you. Know that God is holding you. And then we get to our passage. In Luke 4, 14 to 30, after building this case that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus almost takes the ball away from Luke now and says, thank you for setting the stage, right? Thank you for setting the scene. Thank you for preparing them with all those cool, you know, 30-second commercials about the upcoming events. 
because I'm now the main event. I'm now going to tell you all that I am indeed the Messiah. And starting in verse 14, Jesus returns home. He comes back home, and again what? He's filled with the Spirit. He's on the road, and he's teaching, and he's healing, and people are universally praising him. And, 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 and then a Saturday comes, and he goes to, to, to church. He goes to the synagogue. And what's interesting is that back then, they loved having visiting preachers. And the reason is because visiting preachers would look at things a little bit differently. But if you wanted to come back, you had to say the same things that they wanted you to say. Right? So basically, you would just twist it a little bit, but you had the same message. So they just loved having visiting preachers. And what's interesting about this passage is for years, I just thought that Jesus was like, whoop, doop, open it up. There's what I want to say, right? And I realized this week that it doesn't matter whether or not Jesus picked the passage ahead of time. That it doesn't matter whether or not the attendant picked the passage and it just happened to be where Jesus wanted to go. What I realized this week is that when Jesus comes to the stage, Luke wants us to know that everything's changing. Because first of all, when it came to reading and expounding on the scriptures, they did it sitting or lying down. And I thought about that. And you think I'm fiery now. If you want the opposite of me being fiery, just let me lay down on the stage, you know? I will see you tomorrow. We'll take a nice nap. But what Luke wants you to know is that this is different. Because this isn't just about the passage, it's about who's going to read the passage. This isn't just about the message, it's about who's the message going to point to. This isn't anything normal, because normally we would have sat down or laid down, but Jesus boldly walks to the center of the room and stands up. And as Jesus is standing up, he reads this messianic passage, which again, Isaiah is the one who tells us, for unto us a child is born. Isaiah has tons of other messianic passages. In 53, he talks about how Jesus is going to suffer, right? So it's not a shock that he picked the messianic passage. It's a shock that he says he's the Messiah. It's not a shock that he picked, uh, I mean, think about this, right? If I ask somebody, anybody in this room to pick a psalm, among the hundred of us or whatever, one of us will pick what? Psalm 23. Right? So it's not a shock that he picked a messianic passage. It's a shock what Jesus is going to say about this passage. So Jesus gets up, and he stands up, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. To what? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Again, reminding us that I'm filled with the Spirit. That matters. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has chosen me. He has anointed me to do what? To proclaim good news to the poor. To proclaim freedom for all the prisoners, recovery of sight for all the blind, to set the oppressed free. I know you're struggling under Rome's thumb, but the Spirit of the Lord has called me to remind you that today, this is the year of Jubilee. Jesus is not just reading a messianic passage. He's saying the mission of God is me, the Messiah. A lot of us might think the mission of Jesus is love. But I think there's only two or three times, really, that Jesus even speaks about love directly, right? When he said, what is Jesus? People will say love, and it's like, yeah, that's true. But I love that our God is love, and he doesn't spend too much time telling you he loves you. That his actions show his love, that he's all about love, that in him is love. Jesus' mission over all was the kingdom, and that's what he talks about the most. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus, even when he preached the Sermon on the Mount, is saying, if you belong to me, this is what life in the kingdom looks like. Jesus was all about the kingdom. But the cross of the message, the, the whole middle, the center of the message is not just that the kingdom is here, but that Jesus is king. 
That's what he's saying in front of them. And when he gets up, he says, God's mission is fulfilled in me. You wake up every day saying, Messiah might come. Messiah has come. And this was very interesting because there were some people among him who believed that when the Messiah came, it would be the end of times, the end of days. So those people are just like, um, things look pretty regular on this Saturday. Don't really see the end of days, right? But then there was even a smaller number like Simon the Zealot. I don't know when all the disciples came along, but I think Simon the Zealot came along in this story, right? Because there were some people who believed when the Messiah came, there was going to be lots of death, right? Like there was going to be revolution. We're going to kill all the oppressors, kill all the bad people. And I could just see Simon sitting back in Sunday school not paying attention. And Jesus says, Messiah is me. And Simon says, sign me up, you know? Like let's get this going, right? So there were some people who expect the Messiah to come and would bring a war. But when Jesus comes, it's to not only bring peace, but it's to bring salvation that sets us free. It's to bring salvation that helps us to see. It's to bring salvation that proclaims that God's kingdom matters more than any earthly kingdom. And the people's reaction is like, um, aren't you Joseph's son? Like, we know you. <laughs> like, you're not even a visiting preacher. Like, we saw you when you were a snotty-nosed kid. Like, now all of a sudden you're the Messiah? Like, aren't you Joseph's son? And then Jesus quotes this, 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 this proverb, and he says, prophets are rejected in their own hometown. And he, he's literally, he brings up Elijah and Elisha, how they had to go to Sidon and how they go to um, Syria to serve God in those places because they were rejected in their own town. And there's even hints of Jeremiah who was actually pushed out of his hometown, and they were going to try to kill him in Anatoth, right? So Jesus has all these things. I was reminded again about betrayal. Remember what I said about betrayal earlier, right? When we think about betrayal in Jesus, we often run to Judas. But I wish that was the only betrayal Jesus knew. Because yes, Judas was a disciple and he betrayed him. But last week we learned that Jesus' own family betrayed him. At the cross, the disciples ran except the women and John. But the men that followed him for years, they all ran and betrayed him. And now we're finding out that his own hometown rejects him. When we say that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, when he says that his life was defined by rejection, we have to understand that, yes, Jesus was bold every day of his life, but we have to understand when he came into ministry, he's rejected just as much as he's accepted. And I think that should humble us about our Jesus and remind us, yes, life is hard, but whatever you're going through, God probably faced it too. So Jesus goes now, and he's rejected. And what's interesting is that the people are furious. Furious to the point that they want to kill him. They drive him out of the town to the edge of the hill. And then Jesus just walks on through. And I've always struggled with how do people in other parts of the world who are facing death for their faith, how do they keep on keeping on? And there's a line that Luke throws in here that says, but it wasn't yet his time. And I love that. And I don't know what kind of danger. I hope none of you are in danger this morning. I hope none of you are in life and death situations this morning. But if you ever get there, I love knowing that as long as you have breath, as long as God's hand is upon you, as long as God says it's not yet your time, you will be okay. Jesus faces a mob who wants to kill him, and God said it's not yet his time, and he walks on right through. As I was thinking about wrapping up, and I was just like, man, so now what? Jesus is the Messiah. God points to him. What are the lessons for us? And so my prayer this week is twofold. My first prayer is that one of these things I'm going to give you 
touches somebody and compels somebody to live with God with new fervor. Because I read this story over and over and over and over. There was five or six things I heard God saying clearly to us this morning. The first one is simply this. You are where you are. You are where you are. You are where you are. Serve God there. Serve God there. There's a Frederick Beekner quote that I always butcher where he basically says, like, that the world's hunger, like, where your deep gladness and the world's hunger meets, that's the place where God calls you. So wherever you are this morning, serve God there. The second thing is that God anointed Jesus to proclaim the good news. Guess what? Jesus has chosen you to proclaim the good news. And the word that's used in the Greek there is gospel. And the evangelion, or, or the e- e- evangelical, right? I'm trying not to say the word. But the evangelion that the Greeks are talking about and that we see in the scripture isn't just that Jesus died. It's the whole story. So the challenge for us is are we living in a way that tells our friends, our families, our neighbors that God is alive. That God left heaven to come to earth for them. That Jesus lived and showed them how to live in love. Are we proclaiming our lives that Jesus went to Calvary Tree to die on their cross for their sins? Yes. But also that Jesus was raised from the dead, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is now standing before the Father on their behalf, and that one day Jesus is coming for them. Are we living to proclaim the whole good news of Jesus? Because that's what we're called to do. And how do we do this? We do this by remembering that God wants all of us to help people see. That God wants all of us to set the captives free. That God wants all of us to show this world that there's another way. That Jubilee is available. That salvation is here. That the kingdom is here. This world will tell you how it is. Jesus compels us to show the world how it should be. And the last one I want us to hold on to is be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful. One of the most beautiful things I've seen in my 37 years, or I'm 38 now, 38 years. That's what happens when you get old, kids. That's what happens when you get old. One of the most beautiful things I've seen in my 38 years are Christians who follow Jesus longer than I've been alive. That's what I aspire to do. And I think if you're under 38, (laughs) or if you know anyone who's followed Jesus longer than you've been alive, That's someone you need to learn from and to sit under. Because if they follow Jesus longer than you've been alive, they might be able to teach you a little something. (coughs) And what I want all of us to learn is that God calls us to be faithful. And some people close to us might miss what God has called us to do. They may not see it. They may not accept it. They might even reject Jesus. But your call is to be faithful. I love that when Jesus says, I'm the Messiah, I'm coming for the kingdom. I'm coming to usher in the kingdom. That he says that my message and my mission is simply this. God has called me to proclaim the gospel, to set people free, to open eyes of the blind, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What if that was your mission in your life? To tell the whole story of God, the whole story of Jesus about how you live. To teach people with new eyes. To help people who are struggling with addiction and afflictions break free through the power in Jesus Christ. And for them to know that the world they see is not all that there is. 
that all that there is is not as it should be, that Jesus Christ has come to set them free. Amen? We're going to close our service this morning by doing communion. I'd like to invite Pastor Linda up. Um, as you came in today, um, hopefully you checked in in the back and we have little communion packets to you. In the next moments, we'll be sharing in communion together, celebrating the new life that we have in Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to partake of the bread and the cup. Hopefully you have your, your I don't know, I need, I need a better name than thingy. Hopefully you have your communion packets ready, you know? Um, we seriously ask that you come to this table, not because you're a member of this church or you're a member of the Brethren in Christ, but simply because you're a member of Jesus' church, that you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. We now invite you to come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify, not that you are perfect, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciple. Come, not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on heaven's rewards, but because in your frailty you stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and help. Now that the supper of the Lord is spread before you, lift up your minds and hearts above all selfish fears and cares. Let this bread and this cup be to you the witness of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and blessed it, broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you that in your mercy and grace and your compassion, you've sent Jesus to save us and set us free. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you freely, willingly, lovingly gave up your body so that we can be set free. Lord, we thank you that the sin and death have been defeated forever through your loving sacrifice. So Lord, as we take this bread, Holy Spirit, help us to remember what our God has done, who our God is, and who our God forever will be. The one who has loved us, the one who loves us now, and the one who will always love us. Lord, in your name we pray. Amen. Please join me now for the responsive reading together. We'll have it up front. My sisters and brothers, this bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Take and eat this bread, remembering he was born to be our savior. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Feed on him in your hearts and be thankful. same way after the supper Jesus took the cup which in the Jewish Passover feast was called the cup of blessing and he told his disciples this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me let's pray together we thank you once again Lord as we uh, contemplate the cross and what that was like for you and the suffering that you endured on our behalf. Our hearts are touched anew as we think about your spilled blood, the blood from the crown of thorns, the blood from the pierced side, the blood from your hands and feet. Oh Lord, we're, 
We're, we're moved to think of, of your sorrow, your suffering, and how it expresses your love for us, your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness, how you make us whole. So we thank you today for, for your blood that was shed. And may our lives uh, bring honor to you for that gift, for that sacrifice. Touch us anew as we drink of the juice together with the depth of your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's share in the communion response. My brothers and sisters, this cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Take this cup, remembering that he said, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it together and be thankful. to invite up the worship team as we go to our final song. Um, we'd like also to invite you to stand as we sing. This last song is about building our lives on the firm foundation of God's love and placing our trust in God. As we think about what it means that God has called us to do his work of setting captives free, of giving new sight to the blind, of proclaiming the Lord's favor. May we respond not only by building our lives in Jesus, but living fully for him. I'd like to invite you up for prayer as well. If there's anything you have going on that you want us to help you pray or pray with you through, we'd love to do that. Or if there's something in the sermon that you want to respond to and God's calling you to something, we'd love to pray for that as well. So stand and sing and please come up if you need prayer. Let's stand and sing together. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. 
said one of the things that stands out in Luke's chapter 3 and 4 is how many times Luke mentions that Jesus was filled with the Spirit. And I think that's one of the greatest prayers we can say. I know sometimes when I'm in a very hard place or hard situations, I can say, Lord, help me, help me, help me. And, and most of the time, all the time, actually, that's good enough, right? But one of the things I've been trying to work on is to wake up every day asking God to fill me with the Spirit, that I may feel the Holy Spirit. Um, this week, uh, I, I, I have a friend right now who's just really struggling on every level you can think of, on everything that you can think of. And, and it's been hard to walk with my friend this week and to see everything that life keeps throwing that seems so unfair. And, 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 and as I was thinking about this message and, and what it means to be filled with the Spirit, um, God gave me this prayer to not just ask for surrender to the Spirit, but to how we can use our senses to help us remember what the Spirit does and how we can relate to the Spirit. And I send this prayer to my friend this morning. I want to send you away with this prayer. I don't know if Andrea got my text, but we're going to put it up. Um, if you need it, email me or text me. I can send it to you. But this is going to be our benediction and our prayer as we ask God every single day to surrender to the Spirit. Um, if you could pray along with it with me, we're going to we're gonna go old school like the first church. We're going to all read it out loud together, okay? Um, and this is going to be our prayer. I'll say amen and then I'll dismiss you. But let's just pray this prayer together to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, give me eyes to see where you are moving. Give me a nose to smell the sweet aroma of Christ. Give me ears to hear the still voice of God. Bless my tongue to speak the love of Christ. Bless my heart and hands to feel and give the love of God. Amen? Amen. God bless you all.